people who think that they're going to throw up a, an ad on LinkedIn and just start getting leads that they can just dial and, and start closing, generally they fail out. Generally, there are clients who, after a month, say, yeah, you know what, this probably isn't for us. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Advertising is an industry seen a great deal of change over the last few years. It's in transition. Probably a transition that doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> One that is splintered with increased ways of getting in front of potential buyers. Marketers are struggling to keep pace. Sales reps rarely touch anything related to marketing due to the complexity and uncertainty. Yet when done right, it can provide great ROI. And to help us go deep, specifically on LinkedIn advertising, we have with us AJ Wilcox, founder of B2Linked, an advertising agency focused on optimizing LinkedIn advertising. AJ, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Chad, can't tell you how excited I am to be here. Excellent, man. Well, so we always start with kind of an oddball question just for the audience to get a little bit better understanding of you as an individual. And for some reason lately, I've been stuck on this understanding passions that people have maybe outside of the workplace that those that you work with or that know you only through work might be surprised to learn about passions or hobbies. What might that be in your case? Uh, it's interesting. I, I really love speed and anything with an engine. So I'm a, I'm a grown man that owns go-karts, you know, it's uh, and a side-by-side and, -side and that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, just autom automotive going fast, all that. Oh, love it. Love it. I was just out on my bike yesterday and uh, I hope the Denver police aren't listening, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely, uh, definitely testing the throttle. <laughs> love it. <laughs> all right. So let's start with a little bit of background um, on you and how you started B2 linked. It's, uh, you know, I always say people never really, when you were playing with your, you know, toys as a kid, didn't say when I grow up, I want to be in sales or marketing or things like that. So it's typically a great journey to get where we are in our careers. Would love to understand a little bit more of yours and, and how B2 linked came to be. Yeah. Well, I, it started out because I graduated in marketing, but at the time that I was in school, I was studying marketing, but I had a job on campus that was paying me more than any other uh, on-campus job. And that was <laughs> in like, it was in IT. It was like supporting servers and internet connections and stuff. So I'm pretty technical. And you know, the worries of a college student, I was like, man, I can't quit this job because I'm making so much money, you know, $13 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> seems, seems silly now, but at the time I was like, I can't quit this job. And, but I was like, I, how in the world am I ever going to get hired in marketing if all I know is technical? Now we know that marketing is, has become extremely technical. So we kind of exactly. laugh at that now, but now you know, back then I was just, you know, really worried about it. And then I had a guest lecturer come into class and he started talking about search engine optimization. And as he was talking, I went, Oh, this is perfect. This is marketing plus technology. That's what I want to do. So I went up after class, begged this poor man for an internship and, and he took me on. So I, I, spe I specialized in building websites and search engine optimization and Google ads for about seven years. And then I got uh, brought into a local company here about another seven years ago. Um, I was running all of the digital marketing. And on my very first day, I'm talking to the CMO and I'm laying out all my plans for everything. And she said, okay, all that sounds great. Go ahead and execute your plan. But just know that we started a pilot two weeks ago with LinkedIn ads. So see what you can do with it. 
And I saluted and said, yes, ma'am. But I walked out of her office sweating going, oh man, I've never even heard of these. Like, how am I going to do a good job? Uh, long story short, I ended up growing that account to become LinkedIn's largest spending account worldwide. The, the sales team would just come to me month after month saying, AJ, we love your leads. Keep it up. And after about two and a half years there, I actually got laid off. And so after getting laid off, I was like, all right, well, I could go take another job and lose this specific specialty, or I could go and start a, a consultancy or an ad agency that specializes just in LinkedIn ads because it's one skill I've got that uh, I don't see anyone else talking about. And I decided to go all in uh, as yeah, we, we can go deeper into those motivations. <laughs> it was kind of a journey through faith and it was incredible. That, that's amazing. Right? Opportunities present itself. I think those that have the entrepreneurial spirit see those opportunities uh, in a positive light rather than, hey, oh, I got laid off. Now I'm going to feel sorry for myself. And now it's like, okay, hey, you know what? I have certain skills. I, there's multiple options in front of me. And, and I believe in myself enough that I'm going to take that kind of leap. We see some people do it and then fail because we learn from our failures and some that are successful. It sounds like it was a great choice for you. I sure think so. I mean, <laughs> when I was in corporate, I, the only thing I thought, my, you know, my dad has been working for the same bank for the last 30 years. And I, I grew up in a very financially conservative home. And so I, I just always assumed I was going to be a manager and then I was going to be promoted to director and then VP and then CMO someday and just climb the corporate ladder. But now that I'm on the other side where I went, holy cow, look at you know, I control my own schedule. I don't attend meetings that are the whole, sole purpose is to plan another meeting. <laughs> I, I absolutely love being on the other side. So I, I would encourage anyone who's considering who's got the fire of entrepreneurship, you know, look for those opportunities. Don't be like I did and, you know, wait till you get laid off to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So advertising, you know, it's a complex field and it's a, it's a word. It's one of those words that I think everybody used to understand what it meant. And it's taken on because of the multi-channels that you can use to get in front of individuals. It's taken on somewhat of an amorphous definition based on the individual who's using the word or how they're leveraging it, right? Advertising to some people could mean everything from print to billboards to whatever. In digital spaces, it literally focuses on those digital channels. I'm curious though, why, why focus on LinkedIn versus, versus Google ads? Because you had mentioned well, that as well. So I'm curious what the, you know, what the difference is. Yeah, there's a really cool split, I think, between between the two. So on, on one side, you have Google and Bing ads, which are like their search channels, where someone is specifically looking for what you do. They've typed a keyword, and then you get to present them with, hey, we're here, and this is how we solve your problem. And so that tends to give you leads who are hot and ready to go. These are people who are seeking you out. They've, they've got the intent. And so these are deals that could close tomorrow. But on the other hand, your sales reps will tell you, oh man, we're getting like lots of mom and pops in here, uh, people who aren't qualified. You know, we had the, the CEO and then we had a janitor send in, like we're just, we're not talking to the right people. <laughs> Whereas on LinkedIn, uh, you're targeting people because of who they are professionally. So if you know that only people at companies with at least 50 people in them or at least 1,000 people in them have the budget to buy your, your service, then great. Limit your ads to only be shown to companies with that many people. And same thing with you know, you know that finance professionals, let's say VPs and above, are the ones who feel the, the, the pain that your product or service alleviates, then you can show your ads only to them. So fantastic targeting, but of course what you lose is that intent. So those deals may take a little bit longer to close, but your sales reps will be saying, thank you, these are exactly the right people. So it's more of a nurturing approach to advertising rather than um, a quick return. 
Exactly. Yeah, you've got to provide some kind of value first to get their, their attention. Usually that's in the form of something like a, a free checklist or cheat sheet or webinar, uh, ebook, something along those lines, and then you nurture it. And it does take a little bit longer, but LinkedIn ads always closes the largest deal sizes. So uh, people tend to like that. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm, I don't know anybody who wouldn't want to close larger deal sizes. <laughs> uh, if so, we might need to talk to them about career choices. But um, are there certain individuals or companies like is it is LinkedIn better for certain companies or individuals, or is it you know fair game for anybody who wants to target individuals? Well, one thing you should know about LinkedIn ads specifically as as opposed to maybe other social platforms, many people know Facebook ads, many people may know like Twitter ads or Quora ads. LinkedIn ads tend to be pretty expensive compared to the competition. On average, you're going to pay between six and nine dollars US per person who clicks on your ad. And so because you're going to be paying you know a significant amount up front, what it means is you've got to have a pretty significant deal size or client lifetime value on the back end to make sure that you see a return. So what I tell people is, you know, if you've got a specific type of customer that you're going after that you can define uh, through, you know, who they are professionally, like, you know, their job title, their industry, that kind of thing. And you know, you're going to make, let's say $15,000 or more over the lifetime of a deal, then LinkedIn ads tends to make sense, you know, near 100% of the time. But if you're selling a product that you know, let's say it's a SaaS software that goes for, you know, a thousand, we'll say like a hundred dollars a month. It may be really hard to recoup that, that upfront investment. So I tell people, you know, it generally is people with larger budgets, larger products, but certainly we've seen people with smaller do have some success. Interesting. All right. And so when we look at those, you have to approach, you mentioned like checklists and eBooks as kind of a, you know, as a freebie, right. As, as a way to get people's attention. This isn't something that, you know, people should just all of a sudden, Hey, I'm going to create an ad, go throw it out on LinkedIn and start paying. There's a strategic thought that has to go beyond this to understand kind of the entire, I, I hesitate to say advertising journey, but let, let's say buying journey of the individuals that you're targeting, you've got to be a little bit more strategic than, you know, just throwing up or trying to SEO some, you know, search optimization for, for Google results. I totally agree with that. I think people who think that they're going to throw up a, an ad on LinkedIn and just start getting leads that they can just dial and and start closing, um, generally they fail out. Generally, there are clients who uh, after a month say, yeah, you know what, this probably isn't for us. So I do, I try to you know, give people the best idea of, of how to prepare for it. Um, let them know you, know you really do want to have that asset, but then you don't just give them an asset. You know what you're going to do to nurture and, and have a conversation with that lead afterwards that's going to turn into a relationship that's then going to turn into a sales conversation. Not, you know, you download the piece of content and before you can even finish reading it, our sales guy's calling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's routed as you're halfway through the piece and all of a sudden your phone's ringing and your email's blowing. <laughs> I've, I've had that happen. I have had that happen. Um, oh, okay, yeah. so when we look at, when we look at that stuff, you're talking longer term kind of nurture. Is there, have you seen kind of an average length of time it would take to see the, the payoff from the LinkedIn ads? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, traditionally, I mean, as you know, every company's sales cycle is, is a little bit different. So some are very short cycles, some are very long. And LinkedIn tends to follow that pretty well. If you're running Google ads and it, and your, your business takes, let's say eight months to close, you know, give, add another two months to it for LinkedIn, uh, just for nurture. But what I tell people is when you are running your LinkedIn ads and you're starting to follow up and, like start having conversations, you'll know anecdotally where 
these people tend to be at. And if you're getting a whole lot of like no response or, or very cold responses, then, you know, you've got to change up your, your approach, you know, from an advertising perspective, we're going to throw ads out there. And for the first few days, we care about how often people are clicking on them compared to average. And that'll tell us if the ad is good. And then of course you let it go for a few more days and now you start to see conversions and with enough conversions, you can start to see what your cost per conversion or cost per lead looks like. And then you get enough of those and you start to see MQLs and then you get enough of those and you start to see SQLs. So depending on how long it takes for your sales team to, uh, to qualify them, it'll at least help us guide and understand how we're tuning our ads. Okay. Excellent. And, and is there, when, when we do this, I mean, when, when somebody comes to you, somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I want, I want to engage you guys to help me do this. Is there a guideline on what they should have allocated from a budget as well as a patient's standpoint, but before they, you know, if they come with too little money or, or, or not enough patience to, to look at the timeline, kind of what's that sweet spot where you're looking or you think, you know what, these people have at least the start of, of a right approach for this. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't ever tell anyone that they, that if they don't have enough money, they shouldn't be trying to advertise. But what we have found is that if someone comes to us and they have less than about $3,000 a month to advertise, we've seen a much higher quit rate for them. So in my mind, I'm saying, okay, you should at least have $3,000 per month to allocate to ads. Because if you have less, you may have a negative experience or not be able to see the, the, uh, impact on the company. So try to have in that three to five K range. And then I, I tell people try to budget for at least three months because you know, in month one, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to try ads that don't work. And you're just trying to find that formula, the match between the message and the audience. But right. During month two, you'll have nailed it. You'll start to scale it. And then month three, you'll actually have real valuable data coming out of it. Uh, so I try to tell people, you know, budget for a quarter if you can. Okay. Perfect. And can you give us an example of, of a company or campaign that you have seen be extremely successful with this approach? Uh, yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll share an example that doesn't actually make me look very good, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's a really good illustration of the principles we're talking about. Um, I, I had a client who they sell HR software uh, to HR directors, VPs, and, and C-level folks. So a very specific type of person in a larger organization. And they were going after them with a few different pieces of content. There was like, you know, an Excel template that they could use and, and a few eBooks and nothing was going well. We just kept showing these, these ads and getting subpar performance. And after about four months, I was absolutely certain the client was going to fire us because we couldn't get a cost per download under like 120 bucks, which was really expensive until one day they came out with a, a new piece of content and it was called the definitive guide to onboarding. And overnight our click through rates totally spiked and our, uh, and our cost per conversion went way down. In, in fact, it, it split into like a fifth. And there was absolutely nothing different we did on our side. We used the same type of imagery. We used the same you know, formula for writing our ad copy. Nothing had changed. What had changed, though, was the, the company found a, like a real pain point that they provided a real value and benefit to. And then the community just open arm embraced it. So that's my recommendation to you is find that piece of content, that problem you can solve, or that, uh, that curiosity that you can satisfy yeah, I love it. The curiosity circuit in the brain is always, always the big one. And it, it really comes down to knowing your buyers. What are your buyers experiencing? It, it is the root of all, uh, success in my, uh, 
perspective from marketing and sales. So, okay. So that's one that's been successful. So how about three pitfalls that people should avoid when doing campaigns or something that you saw that wasn't as effective without naming names? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you pitfalls that, that a lot of people tend to make these mistakes. So number one, there's an option that LinkedIn enables by default when you create a, a, an audience and it's called audience expansion. And this is essentially their license to say, Oh, I see who it is you're targeting. I'm going to broaden that a little bit. And I tell people like no one should be ticking that box and LinkedIn has it enabled by default. So you've got to actively be vigilant to make sure that it, it didn't get checked <laughs> when you're creating your stuff. Uh, because if you're paying LinkedIn prices and you know who your audience is, you shouldn't leave it up to chance who your ads are going to. So right. that's number one. I think number two, a lot of people who are used to advertising online, let's say from Google, they build their campaign structure around keywords. But when you come over to social media, you're going, okay, do I structure my campaign by the audience or by the piece of content that I'm, I'm pushing? And quite often I see people deciding to create these campaigns in their account that will say something like a 2018 webinar or white paper one. And what that means is when 2018 webinar is over and done with, you just have this campaign sitting there in your account that's just taking up room and doing nothing. And what we find is you've invested money into a campaign and LinkedIn respects that. And so it builds this history that gives you a really nice jumping off point the next time you want to use that campaign. So instead of naming a campaign after, after a piece of content, we're going to name it after the audience. So you might see one called like uh, CIOs in the US company size 500 and above. Right. And that means that once I'm done with a webinar to that audience, I just pause the, the webinar ads. And then let's say I have a new white paper coming out next week. I launch new ads there. And then I end up with these, this really evergreen approach uh, to audiences. And when I'm looking at my reporting, it's all broken down by the persona that I'm targeting. And it makes so much more sense. Perfect. All right. Understood. Understood. So when it, it, let's go back to that content thing for a second, because it jogged jog my memory. So do you find white papers more effective or webinars, or is there a specific type of content that you have seen be more effective or is it really all about, you know, the positioning of it? Oh, Chad, great question. So here's what we've found uh, because in my mind, I kind of reason that, if you ask someone to join a webinar, let's say, it's asking for a lot. It's asking for 60 minutes in the middle of their, their busy day and uh, you know, maybe having them listen to someone that they don't know or, or like or trust yet. Um, so I started thinking about that. But what we've found is if we go in and find a problem to solve and then the company goes and creates a, a webinar around that problem, a 48-page ebook, and then a one-page checklist, they all actually end up converting about the same. Really? Um, yeah. The difference is that with a webinar, you know, half of the people who signed up aren't going to attend sure. or maybe even fewer. And so I think that scares some people away like, oh, you know, I'm going to essentially pay double if half my people show up uh, or don't show up. But what I tell people is, you know, webinars still tend to work really well because the people who listen to you for an hour, now they know, like, and trust you because they've listened to you. And so the likelihood of closing goes up. But yeah, just, I think it's all about find the problem that you're solving and, you know, create something, whatever medium that tends to take uh, most efficiently, then that's going to be a great start. And does it have to be content that isn't accessible another way? So something behind a gate or is any content, can any content be effective regardless of uh, it being behind a gate or not? 
I think any content can be successful. For instance, if a client comes to us and they say, well, we don't have a white paper or anything, I go, well, what's the most uh, effective blog post you have? How about you paste that into a PDF, put some cool branding around it, and then and we gate that. And if you offer someone something and you say, just give us your first name, last name, email, and you'll get it, chances are they're not going to go and search on the blog to say, Ooh, is there another way around this? Um, <laughs> but maybe some, some people, and that may not be the customer that you'd want anyway. So, you know, let them try to go around. Uh, but what we find is because you're paying LinkedIn types of prices, it really does make sense to make sure that, that you're getting at least an email address out of someone from your call to action. If you're just sending someone to your blog, you're probably going to pay that same, you know, six to $9 to get someone there. And there's not a strong call to action from a blog post. So you'll end up with a low conversion rate and, you know, at some point you'll have to go and report to someone, Hey, I think we have about a thousand dollar cost per conversion and Oof. someone's going to tell you to shut it down, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Excellent. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions uh, towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a founder that makes you a prospect for a lot of salespeople out there. And I'm always curious to understand uh, when somebody doesn't have a referral into you, somebody doesn't have that existing relationship to, to capture your attention, get in front of you. What, ha- what do you find is the most effective way for somebody to capture that attention and earn the right to get, you know, 15 or 30 minutes on your calendar to talk to you about potential solutions? What have you found to be the most effective for yourself personally? So as a marketer, I am amazing at sniffing out BS. And <laughs> so the, the thing that you've got to do to get with me is prove that you're actually wanting to talk to me and this just isn't a copy paste that, uh, that you're going after. So if someone sends me a connection request on LinkedIn and I don't recognize the person, I'm not accepting it. On the other hand, if they customize that, re- that connection request and say, hey, AJ, here's, uh, you know, I, I've been following your content here. I have a question about LinkedIn ads or I'd like to, to, uh, to talk to you about, you know, X and Y. Um, if, if it's personalized and I can tell someone wants to talk to me, I'm just not another number in their network, then I am more than happy, super accessible. On the other hand, if it looks like a form letter, if it looks, you know, uh, just generic in any way, I'm just going to ignore and assume that I'm just going to be one more, you know, not open in your marketing automation software. <laughs> right. I love the ones. So I have this thing where uh, when I'm working with, uh, with customers, I get LinkedIn emails all the damn time, like yes. all the time, like all, almost more than I'm getting traditional uh, marketing emails. And it, it never fails that when I'm in the middle of a workshop or in our prospecting workshop, it never fails. I get one. Always right around the time we're talking about best practices for LinkedIn and social media. <laughs> so I often turn them into examples in class of what not to do. Perfect. Thank <laughs> you for making the world better. <laughs> and then delete them in class. All right. Um, last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or consultants. There's one piece of advice that if they listen to you believe would help them hit their targets or crush their quotas. What would it be and why? Make an investment into everyone. You never know what conversation or what person is going to end up being a deal in the future. And I've dealt with too many folks in sales who, as soon as they, they feel like you're, you're not a good fit, you are disqualified and that relationship is over. So be in it for the long haul. If, if possible, obviously, I mean, if it's just a job to you, then you know, you're going to do what you want, but, um, you know, invest into relationships, build relationships before you ever have to ask for something. And I I know it's, there's no silver bullet here. It's a a lot of time and a lot of effort, Uh, but the best salespeople I know are, I would call them friends. 
Right. Love it. It's all about people, man. People buy from people at the end of the day. You've got to Amen. Earn, the right. earn the right. Okay. Perfect. AJ, for listeners interested in talking more about these topics or learning more about the company, where would you like them to go? Hit you on LinkedIn with obviously a personalized note or the website or is there someplace specific? Yeah. So you can obviously hit me up on LinkedIn. Just make sure to customize that request. Uh, <laughs> you can also, so here's a little dirty secret for me. If you go to the website, b2linked.com and fill out the form anywhere there, uh, you won't be dropped to a sales rep. You won't be put into my marketing automation workflow. It goes directly to my inbox and I'm a crappy sales guy. So I'm not going to try to give you a sales pitch. I'm just going to try to solve your problems. So <laughs> feel free to hit me up with any questions you have and, uh, and I will be more than happy to help. Awesome. AJ, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been great having you on the show. Hey, Chad, thanks so much for letting me share with your audience and taking the time. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, families, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we have Value Selling Associates, which you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.